your copy of God's Word with me to Exodus 19, Exodus 19, that'll be on page 95 if you're using my Bible, if you're not, you're on your own, you may be able to tell I'm using the large print Bible since it is on page 95, please no judgment with that, while you're opening your copy of God's Word, Exodus 19. We'll be reading verses 1 through 14 together. I'm so thankful that I get to be with a fellowship that goes all the way to 1245. I've been told that I've got the balance of the time, so totally kidding. I want to make sure you're with me. All right, let's read together Exodus 19, verses 1 through 14. The Word of God reads in Exodus 19. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain while Moses went up to God. The Lord called him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourself have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. And when Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their garments, and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down from Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set limits for all the people around, saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people, and they washed their garments. May the Lord bless the reading of his word, if you will pray with me. Father, what a joy it has been to sing out to you and to praise you and to cry out because of your son, we can truly say that it is well in all that we face. And to face such a year and struggles around the world, but even especially within this own church family, to be able to cry out it is well 
and to know that it is in Christ alone that we can sing this, that we can say this, that we can boldly proclaim it to the world around us and that we can live it. And just to see the joy on the family's faces as they stood before their church family to set their children apart, to hear the covenant made between the family and the church as a whole. What a beauty that is, God. And we thank you for the privilege of seeing your word lived out. And so, God, now it is with the same focus, the same intention, I pray that we would sit under the teaching of your word, that we would seek after your continued revelation of yourself through your word, soften our hearts, help us to be changed by your presence, and God, I pray that your voice would be the only one speaking in this place today. Father, anything short of your voice, anything that I would say that is not according to your will, I pray that you would scrub it out of our minds, move it out of the way, And Father, we pray that your will would be done today in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it is such an honor to be with you guys this morning. I thank you so much for having me and my family uh, with you. We have been praying for you, my bride Stephanie, Tanner, and Ty. We have enjoyed getting to meet many of you. We, we got to meet several of you there at Piney Woods for the family worship retreat and definitely enjoyed our time. But I'll tell you, uh, our church family there at Central and Livingston has been praying for you guys, uh, really ever since you took my great friend away from me, you know, uh, but uh, we, we haven't been praying, uh, uh, you know, God's judgment on you or anything. We've been praying for you, that God would lift you up, that God would encourage you, especially during this tough time with Pastor Andy being out with Brandon. We have, we have prayed that God would surround you in his love and his strength, his protection, and his peace, and it is just really such a joy to be able to hear you sing out this morning, to hear you sing of that peace, to hear you sing of that strength, and so I thank you for allowing me to be here. Uh, I have to tell you, I've enjoyed worshiping with you guys in spirit through your Facebook uh, videos, um, and I don't know if, if Brother Dwayne is here this morning. Is Brother Dwayne in, in the room this morning? No? He's deer hunting. Wow, you just threw your dad under the bus. Man, you are out of the will. Okay, so, well, he, he commented, I, I got to watch the video, and he commented that the, I guess he thought that the expectations for him being up here last week was setting the bar low, but he didn't do me any favors because he brought a fantastic message and set the bar high, unfortunately for me this morning. But he did mention, uh, and he, he brought to you the, the study of digging deeper and knowing and growing through your deeper knowledge of God. And that's exactly what, what I hope that we do today as well, that we would continue in that same vein and growing deeper. Really, the focus for today in Exodus 19 began when my family and I were with you guys in, at Piney Woods. Uh, if some of you that were, that were there, you'll remember that um, my family sat before you and kind of just showed you what our family worship typically looks like. And, and I don't know if it was awkward for y'all, but it was a little awkward for us. But it's okay. We all got through it together. But 
We began a study that day, that day, uh, in Exodus 19. And throughout that week, as we continued to go through Exodus 19, and as I continued to read the word on my personal time, there was a word that, that kept coming out, that kept jumping out at me. And the word was consecrated. And so I felt like we could do well by digging deeper into the command from God to be consecrated. Now, in order to understand the command better and on a deeper level, we've got to do some setup. We've got to do some research and some work, right? We have to understand the context of Exodus 19. Now, thankfully, Moses does that for us. He sets it up in verse 1 very well, where we see on the third new moon after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness. So we have the who, we have the where, and we have the when. We are talking about Israel, God's chosen people, called out by God, formed by God, protected by God, rescued by God. This is the nation that was formed and named after Jacob, who, as Brother Walter mentioned last week, wrestled with God, and God changed his name from the supplanter or the deceiver to Israel, one who strives with God. Or the name also is, is said to mean God prevails. Now, interestingly enough, we actually see both meanings of that name confirmed, even in today's text. So we have the who, we have Israel, we also have the where. They came into the wilderness of Sinai after having been rescued out of Egypt. Now we know how they got here, right? We remember these accounts, we've seen it on the felt board, right? We've seen these play out, we've even seen the story on, play out on the silver screen with Charles and Heston, and we know how all of this happened, Maybe. We know the Hollywood version sometimes, right? But if you'll remember, this, this all began way back, even before Joseph. But if you'll remember, Joseph was attacked by his brothers, thrown in the pit, stripped to the point that the, that the language in, in Hebrew actually would compare it to being skinned alive and thrown in the pit, left to die, being sold to slave traders, being sold to Potiphar, being betrayed and falsely accused, being thrown in the prison, interpreting two dreams, rising to power, the second seat over all of Egypt under Pharaoh. And through that, he served God in rescuing his people. What's interesting is the whole account of Joseph has nothing to do with Joseph. You ever notice that? Because right about Genesis 37, I hope I got that right. Genesis 37, I believe, is where we take a little bit of an offshoot where Judah turns away from his family. Long story short, he has an inappropriate business transaction with his daughter-in-law, and Judah's line continues through that firstborn. And that's at the very beginning of the narrative of Joseph. And so what we see, everything that plays out about Joseph the whole point of Joseph is to protect the line of Judah. 
And so when Israel comes to Egypt during the seven years of famine, because Egypt was where there was bread, Egypt was where there was grain. Why? Because Joseph served God faithfully and God was with him in everything that he said and everything that he did. Israel was able to come to Egypt. However, things turned in Exodus 1. And we see in Exodus 1, verses 9 through 10, Pharaoh, the new Pharaoh, the next Pharaoh, his words said, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. And so the Israelites desperately needed salvation Again, from their, from their oppressors. They were here in Egypt for a reason. God brought them, according to his providence, to Egypt so that the Lion of Judah could be preserved so that we would later sing out to the Lion of the tribe of Judah. And so we know about this rescue now from Egypt. And we see that after the rescue, as Moses tells us in verse 1 of today's passage, on that third new moon, roughly about three months after the people of Israel had gone out to the land of Egypt, gone out of the land of Egypt, sorry, they came into the wilderness of Sinai. And specifically, verse 2 shows us that they set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain. And as we continue to read, Moses was called up onto that mountain to meet with God. And here is the command given by God to Moses for his people. If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation." But Moses was only able to tell them of God's promise, of God's covenant, after the people remembered. After the people remembered from whom their salvation came. If you'll see right before that in verse 4, it says, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. This rescue, this salvation from the hands of the Egyptians was truly a miracle by every definition. One that begged for the visual image of being flown out on eagle's wings, an eagle being a bird of prey. One that can decimate, but in this case, one that saved. And so, if you will, the, the nation of Israel were, was life-lighted from Egypt. R.C. Sproul, when teaching on this, sal- this salvation from Egypt and this exodus, mentions, you know, when they come to, when they get trapped, basically, between the Red Sea and the encroaching Egyptian army, He mentions how the world struggles to understand and struggles to even be okay with this idea of such a miracle. We're talking about three million, give or take, Israelites being rescued. And they're trapped between the Red Sea and the encroaching Egyptian army. And the world says, that can't happen. What happens with them? Actually, 
You know, there's also another sea over there. It's actually called the Reed Sea. Maybe, maybe they, they, they weren't trapped against the Red Sea. They were trapped against the Reed Sea, right? And that's a little bit easier to understand because the Reed Sea is only about six inches deep in some places. And so clearly the Israelites, the three million Israelites, were able to cross over the, the six inches of water of the Reed Sea rather than the Red Sea. And so, so R.C. Sproul tells this story about this little kid who was in Bible study in Sunday school one day. And he comes home and he's so excited to talk about what he learned in Sunday school because he's got this teacher in Sunday school that is teaching him this worldly idea of the Israelites crossing the Reed Sea instead of the Red Sea. And so the father says, well, what did you talk about in Sunday school? And the kid said, we talked about how mighty our God is. And the father, knowing about this idea of the Reed Sea, said, well, how did you talk about how mighty your God is when the Israelites crossed six inches of water? He said that God could destroy a whole army in six inches of water. (laughs) That's how mighty he is. It's amazing how the world just can't understand this idea of a miracle. And even more so, this idea that the God who would breathe out the stars, the God who would speak our universe into existence would actually be involved with us and would save the Israelites on eagles' wings and bring them to the foot of the mountain. And he calls them to remember that. He calls them to remember how he gave them drink out of a rock how he gave them manna from the sky. They didn't even know what to call it, so they said, what is it? Yeah, that's a good name, manna. What is it? How he gave them direction. And now in verse nine, he says, behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. And as Moses was instructing the people, God said, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set limits for the people all around saying, take care not to go up to the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him but he shall be stoned or shot, whether beast or man, he shall not live. Here we see the same God, the same God that that Isaiah saw sitting on his throne, high and lifted up, the train of his robe filling the earth. And, 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 And this same God that has the seraphim flying over him, with six wings, two covering the feet, two covering the face, and two that, that are used to fly. And they're crying out to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. It is this same God who chooses to condescend, who chooses to come down onto the mountain, who chooses to be with his people so that they may hear his voice and so that they would believe Moses. But they must have limits. They must be 
consecrated. They must not touch the mountain. Not even their dog could touch the mountain. And if anyone did touch the mountain, they must be put to death. But this limit was so significant, was so severe, that if someone were to touch the mountain, even to touch a rock of the mountain, then they couldn't be put to death with someone else's hands on them. They couldn't even be touched themselves. That's why they had to be stoned or shot. And I know we're just a couple of weeks from the first day of rifle season, but to be clear, it's shot with arrows. I don't want there to be any confusion. There weren't any rifles back then, right? But uh, and we're excited to be out there. And I, I got to think, I was like, I need to clarify that. This is probably with arrows, right? Or stoned. But they have to be killed from a distance. Because the holiness is so severe, is so significant. And we have to ask ourselves, why? Why be consecrated? Why the executions? Why the limits? See, it is in these limits that we see the very holiness of God. God has revealed himself through his word in so many ways. And he's shown us his attributes, his, his characteristics, his intrinsic character. An attribute is something that you are without ever even having to do anything. So these are every bit true of God all the time. His justice, his omnipresence, his omnipotence, his immutability, his wrath, his love. But no other attribute in all of scripture is repeated three times, except one. Nowhere does the scripture say that God is love, 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 or God is wrath, wrath, wrath. But as we read out of Isaiah 6, Scripture does say that he is holy, holy, holy. And this is not to say that the holiness of God overshadows all of his other attributes or all of the other attributes take second place to the holiness of God. As a matter of fact, Tozer says that God is not the presence of many parts, but the perfect absence of parts. But what we see in Isaiah's words that God is holy, holy, holy is that all of the other attributes flow out of this holiness of God. So God is holy love and holy just. He is holy omnipresent and omnipotent. He is holy immutable and wholly wise. And so to be in God's presence, his people, and we must be consecrated. We are to be holy. So what does this mean? What is, what is the word consecrated? What does the word holy mean? Well, to be consecrated is to be set apart. To be holy is to actually be whole to be completely different, to be completely other. To consecrate something is to make it whole, to set it apart from the rest. Much like what we saw this morning with these two families, setting their children apart 
so that they would covenant to their kids that they would raise them in the fear and admonition of the Lord and so that you as a church family would covenant these, with these families, that you would support them and pray for them. And I pray that when you covenanted in that way this morning that you meant it and that you would remember it because that's what we saw this morning is a setting apart, a setting aside. And that's just a fuzzy picture of consecration. Another word for consecrated is sanctified. As Israel was flown out and rescued, they were set apart for God's purpose. And likewise, all who wish to be in his presence must be made new. That's what Israel experienced. They were made new by God's salvation. They were made new by passing through the Red Sea by being provided for in the wilderness. And likewise, we are to be made new. We are to be washed and we are to be set apart. But then the question begs to be asked, how? See, because this command for Israel, be consecrated, is the same command that we have today because it's the same God. Because we, as we just mentioned, God is immutable. He is never changing Immutability is, is rooted in the word mutation. Mutation means change. I grew up thinking immutability was something about like you couldn't mute God. But immutability is rooted in that idea that he cannot change. In him, there is no change. Because if there was change in him, then that would mean that it, the former God would have been less than the latter God. Or if he would change, then maybe he wasn't perfect to begin with, but we know that he always was because he's also eternal and infinite and perfect. And so the same God who commanded Israel to be consecrated is the same God who commands us to be consecrated today. But it was at this point that Israel began to do. See, the instructions that came from the mountain were that they were to wash themselves. And as Vodi Bauckham says, this is where the low-hanging fruit is for so many because it's easy for us to see this and say, okay, so we're supposed to get dressed up. We're supposed to look the part. We're supposed to put on our Sunday best on the outside. We're supposed to fake it till we make it, Right? But God, while he instructs the Israelites to wash the outside, he didn't stop with that. Whereas we are too tempted to just stop with the outside. We're tempted to wash the outside of the cup and never worry about the inside. See, because it's here where God begins to give his law to his people. It's here where God begins to turn their focus towards the inside. Be consecrated. Let me show you how through the law that would point them to grace. But like the Israelites, we can still be stuck on cleaning the outside without seeing that his law is pointing us to examine our being which then impacts our doing. Think about it. 
We can skip ahead and we can see the entire course of the Israelites through history. We can see that God condescends on the mountain to the Israelites and the Israelites begin to tremble. God gives Moses the first 10 words or the first 10 laws. And when Moses brings those down in Exodus 20, verse 19, we see that the Israelites responded with this cry, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. They wanted God's words, but they didn't want God for fear of their own lives. And we can fast forward even more and we can see Israel beginning to grow away from God. We can see them get stuck in the cycle through judges where they grow away from God. They did what was right in their own eyes. They suffered the consequences. They cried out to God. They were saved and then set on the right path. And then what did they do? They continued to do the same. They would grow away from God. They would suffer the consequences. And then when they got to the very bottom, they said, we want to do like the rest of the kingdoms around us. We want to do what they are doing. We want to have a king rather than the one true and living God. And we see the nation split under sinful kings. We see captivities. We see salvation from captivities again. And all the while, we can hear David's words crying out in Psalm 51, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me. And I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. And almost as in a direct answer, Isaiah would prophesy in chapter one, verse eight, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. We see the holiness. We see the command to be consecrated, to be washed clean. But not to do consecrated, not to do washed clean, but to be consecrated and to be washed clean. And after 400 years of silence, And 400 years of doing in an attempt to be, we hear Simeon's voice cry out as Mary and Joseph dedicates their boy. And Simeon lifts up this baby boy and declares to his mother, Mary, behold, this child is appointed for the fall of And the rising of many in Israel. And for a sign that is opposed and a sword that will pierce through your own soul also. So that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. We see from the very beginning of the formation of the nation of Israel. That God called his people to be consecrated. And yet they... And if we're honest, we still attempt to do 
our best. We attempt to do consecrated. We try to look our best. We try to act our best. We try to sound our best. And when we're called to change how we do so that what we do is actually according to the word of God, what do we say? Especially in Baptist churches. I can say this because I'm a Baptist, y'all, right? What do we say? We've never done it that way before. And as I'm studying this, as I'm working through this, as I'm looking at the cost of being consecrated and not just doing consecrated, I have to ask myself, if we've never done it that way before, then is it a fair question to ask, have we truly been consecrated before? Have we truly been consecrated by God's word? we think about it, Matthew chapter 25, verses 25 through 26, is Jesus' words crying out to the Pharisees and his seven woes to the Pharisees. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside may also be clean. See, when the inside is washed clean by the word of God, when the inside is washed clean, then the outside follows suit. But it must be in that order. So the question left to ask is how? How can we be consecrated? And to answer this question, we can again go to Jesus' words in his high priestly prayer in John 17, verse 19. And for their sake, that being his disciple, his, his followers, all those who would hear his gospel and believe in him, for their sake, I consecrate myself that they may also be sanctified in truth. That they may also be consecrated in truth. Jesus is our consecration. Jesus is our washing white as snow. He is our propitiation and reconciliation. He is the just and the justifier. And what's great about when you study the attributes of God you're also studying what we are not, right? He is holy. We are sinners. He is omnipresent everywhere. We are limited to here and to the present. He is omnipotent and we are getting older by the second and weakening and feeble. He is wise and we're doing good with what we got, amen? But Christ is our consecration. He is our propitiation. He is our sacrifice. We are none of those. We can try to act 
right and we can try to do all we want, but until we are, we will only fail. Like the Israelites who were chosen, who were called out, who were life lighted on eagles' wings and commanded, then we too are chosen and we are called out to repent of our sins, of our rebellion against God and his word. Our sin is, by definition, rebellion and an attempt to usurp the creator of the universe, the breather of the stars, the one in whose words are everything is held together. And we try to be that. We try to be our own God. And so we are commanded to repent of that sin. And we are commanded to call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Be saved from God's judgment. Be saved by God's grace through Christ and be saved to God and his righteousness because Christ paid the price for us. We sang that truth as he was nailed to the cross, buried in the tomb, and on the third day rose. The price was paid. And when we have been called and we respond to repent and our faith is in him, then and only then can we be consecrated. And then God's word spoken all the way in Exodus 19 is repeated for us in 1 Peter 2, beginning in verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. They began all the way back then trying to do when God called them to be. He gave them their law to point them to grace. And we continue, if we're honest, we continue to try to do when God calls us to be. And the only way that we can be is through Christ and in Christ alone. The command is the same, be consecrated. So that when our faith is in him, we can claim, we can claim that promise that was spoken in Exodus 19, that we would be his people, his possession, his royal priesthood, his holy nation. And like C.H. Spurgeon once said, we can also say, I stand here freed from every sin. There is not a crime against me in the book of God. It is blotted out forever. It is canceled. And not only can I never be punished, but I have nothing to be punished for. Christ has atoned for my sins and I have received his righteousness. I pray that this would be your testimony as well. Let's pray together. Father, it's too easy for us to think that we can do this on our own. And God, I stand before you accused 
of that very thing. And when we see your command to be consecrated, you know how our minds quickly run with what we can do. How can we outdo others around us? How can we cover up our sin? And so we look for sacrifices. We look for things to do, but God, you call us to be. And even your son calls out all who are weary and heavy laden, come and find rest. So Father, I pray that you would help us to find rest in your son. Father, I pray for the hearts in this place that know not of your truth. I pray for those who've not repented. I pray that you would call them and that you would save them. Save them from your judgment. Save them by your son and save them to you. And those that do know your truth, I pray that you would strengthen them, sharpen them, so that they would live out their faith in this world that desperately needs to hear of your excellencies. Father, we are surrounded by a dead and dying world that needs to hear of salvation through your son. Help us to proclaim that. And Father, help us. Help us to want you. To not just want your words, but to want you. and to experience your righteousness for all of eternity. In Jesus' name, amen.